Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Seattle and Washington sports. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined as always by my co-host, John Carey. And we are here today to talk about some interesting, interesting college basketball things going on in the world of Washington sports, specifically the the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Mm. And then uh, we're going to break down a big Mariners trade that happened over the weekend. Huge. And talk a little bit about some UW coaching decisions for the football team before we get into a little Super Bowl discussion. We had to. It's it's not Seattle or Washington sports related, but we had to. Get off our backs, people. It's one day a year. We love the Super Bowl. We love football. It's our time to shine. Uh, but first, as always, a little Coyote picnic. Give it to me straight. Mm. What's going on? <laughs> oh. oh, God, I'm here. Talking through my tears. Um, the Gonzaga Bulldogs lost this week on Saturday, February 3rd, 64-62 against the St. Mary Gales. Um, it was a tough one. It was another chance at securing our first quad one win of the season, and instead we have secured another quad one loss. <laughs> um, it was a... Competitive game. Uh, St. Mary's pulled away late. Uh, the two-point final differential is actually a little generous. They were up five or six in the last couple of minutes. So, um, yeah. Um, the Zags aren't screwed, but they are They are certainly dancing on the edge. Um, they have a massive game coming up this Saturday against Kentucky. Cannot be overstated how must how much of a must win that game is for this program. Uh, sixteen and six, but they've played something like sixteen cake teams. I was so. say, a bunch <laughs> of cupcakes, <laughs> maybe seventeen. So, um, yeah, it's. I am quite concerned. Um, Looking at the team right now, if if you had to say yes or no, they're going to make the NCAA tournament. What would you say? Uh, I would say no. I would say no. Because uh, if they beat Kentucky, who is currently ranked 13 in the country, I believe, um, that would be a very good win. Uh, That alone might not be enough to get them in. They might need that and to win the WCC tournament, which obviously would be an auto bid if they did. But um, yeah, I guess maybe the way to say it is there are two possible ways into the tournament. Beating Kentucky and then having a good rest of the regular season, and then you make it in as a 13 seed or win the WCC tournament, in which case you're not a bid. Um, but I would say the odds of either of those things happening are less than 50%. Um, so I think there was a less, less than 50% chance they make the playoff. That's fair. If you had to, if they win the WCC tournament, say they lose to Kentucky, but they win the tournament, they get the auto bid, where do you think they end up? In the seeding. Oh, boy. Uh, they would not be top 10. I was thinking they would be like a 12 seed or lower. Yeah, I reckon they'd be 12. WCC, it's not Power 5, but it's it's you know not like the American or something like that. So uh, you'll typically see a little respect thrown to the winner of that tournament. Um, it's tough just 
particularly because it will normally have at least one ranked team in the conference, be it, you know, not just Gonzaga, but St. Mary's is normally up there. Obviously, we used to have BYU. Um, the fact that currently there are no representatives of the WCC in the top 25 makes it more likely that, yeah, we come out of it with something like a 12 seed. I would guess, yeah, 9 to 12 would be where I would expect whoever wins the WCC uh, to find themselves come tournament time. But dark days, uh, dark days indeed, and no easy answers. We are missing steel venters like a hole in the head. Uh, shooting has not been consistent. We're currently, we've got Gonzaga Portland on the TV as we record, <laughs> and Gonzaga's spanking Portland and shooting almost 50% from three, which... I'm, I'll tell you now, if we shoot 50% from three every game the rest of the year, we're winning the national championship. So, um, but that's not been the case this year. Uh, Anton's doing everything he can, but he's a man born to be the third or fourth best player on a team. Our front court's not scoring enough. Uh, our guards aren't hitting threes. And yeah. It'd be fun to make the tournament, but this team's not doing anything this year. Yeah, watching watching the flow of this offense in the limited minutes that I've seen it, it just doesn't really flow at all. It's not an offense. It's more of like it looks a lot like UW's offense in a way, yeah. where it's like, hey, get like pass the ball around, see if you can get somebody cutting. But if not, we're just gonna iso ball or set a screen and hope somebody gets open, uh, which is what my rec team does. So <laughs> that shows you how well the offense is running at Gonzaga. They could use you out there. Tyler. I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no, no frosting it. This is the worst offense since at least the 2010s, maybe in the Mark Few era. Um, there's a program known for its offense, and this offense is gross. And their defense is not anything to write home about, so it's not enough to carry them. Um, yeah, that's the breakdown. <laughs> uh, if you're a Zag fan, watch the Kentucky game, because when I'm telling you that it's like their last chance, it is quite literally their last chance, so. Why don't you tell us what happened uh, in some Pac-12 basketball this weekend? Yeah. Uh, so first and foremost, the UW and Wazoo women's teams both go 0-2 against the Mountain teams, Colorado and Utah. Uh, WSU fared a little bit better. UW lost by 18 and 20. So wasn't super oh, close boy. in those ones. Uh, Wazoo, I think, lost by 6 to Colorado, which was, at, all things considered, a good loss. Colorado's, I think, ranked number 8 in the nation right now. So they're not they're not doing too bad, but they're both in the bottom bottom half or bottom third of the pack. Um, in terms of UW and Wazoo men's basketball, they played this weekend, and it was a pretty pretty sick game, all things considered. Uh, it goes to overtime. UW has a, I think Severe Wheeler had a turnover in the last like minute and a half or two minutes, because um, they had pretty much secured the win. They were up five, I think, and Severe Wheeler turns it over. Gives Wazoo a chance to come back, and they do. And then it goes to OT where uh, Miles Rice hits a three with a minute and 50 seconds left, and then nobody scores. Uh, and that kind of sealed the deal. UW loses 90 to 87. And I think UW's very, very much out of it. We talked about them potentially being a tournament team after they beat Gonzaga, and I think that is just not the case. Yeah. Uh, but Wazoo is second in the Pac 12 right now. They are. Oh, uh, what was it? I think they're seven and one, um, seven and four in the conference. Sorry, they're one game behind, is what I read. Um, they're sixteen and six overall, and they just kind of keep rising. They they're tied with Oregon right now in the conference, and Let's go they play this weekend. So this that'll be a big game for them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, was 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 very exciting to see, and it really showed this weekend when I was watching that game. They're just a much more all around solid team. Hey, UW played well, man. It went to overtime, but uh, yeah, nice to see. I am of the opinion. I know you're a you're a dog at heart, but uh, if the one team has a chance and the other does not, I'm rooting for the one that does. No, and that's totally fair. Uh, UW looked good this weekend because Keon Brooks scored 30, 35 points in that game. Um, it was yeah, all things considered, like Keon Brooks scores his average of twenty, and UW loses this game by ten. Like it, he had an awesome, awesome game, uh, but Wazoo is just the better team. I'll, I'll give him that right now. I, I am upset about it, but Wazoo is the better team. <laughs> that's big of you to say. <laughs> um, that's it for Pac-12 basketball for me. I don't, I don't have anything else. The Kraken did not play since we last talked. It was the NHL All Star break. Correct. So not much going on in terms of Kraken discussion. We obviously are still awaiting them to hopefully kick it into high gear, but uh, hope hope is running low for the Kraken in terms of making the playoffs this year. We're just looking like a very average team. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing we haven't said before. We'll save further conversation until they do something. All right. With that, do you want to move on to some some fun, exciting news? I want to talk <laughs> about this so bad. I've been looking up stats on my phone. <laughs> so over the weekend, I don't remember what day it was, but it was a time when we could post on Twitter, but we didn't want to record a podcast. The Mariners traded for Gregory Santos of the Chicago White Sox, and they traded Prelanda Baroa, who is a reliever who pitched probably 10 innings for the Mariners last year, but he's really kind of sitting in double-A, not doing much for us. He's kind of a quad-A guy. Uh, we traded Zach Deloach, who is also a quad-A guy, but has not really seen any time. He was at spring training last year and didn't make the team. I think Cade Marlowe's just like a better version of Deloach. Yeah. And Cade Marlowe will probably not make the team this year. So <laughs> <laughs> Zach Deloach, we are okay letting him go. And then uh, we traded the 69th pick in the draft this year, um, which was a comp round B pick, I believe is what it was. Correct. So three things that the Mariners don't necessarily need. Obviously, the Mariners have shown that they have really good drafting capabilities. They've been drafting super well the last couple of years. The guys that they've been drafting are excelling in uh, low A and moving up the ranks very quickly. But it is not something we need because we are really at a good young core of players within our organization. And we get Gregory Santos, who is one of the best relief pitchers in all of baseball, John. He is, in my opinion, he's Andres Munoz light. Andres Munoz 1.1, maybe. Mm. He's, He's in that range. He's got a Fastball that tops out at 103 miles per hour, sits 99 on average. He's got a slider that sits 92, I believe, um, which is basically the same exact profile as Munoz, uh, but his fastball has a little bit more movement. Munoz has a pretty straight fastball that he just throws hard on the corners. Uh, Santos has a little bit of movement, but I'm getting too far ahead of myself. John, talk to me. What do you think? Uh, I am very excited. I'm very excited for a couple of reasons. Um, I am very much a believer in baseball more than, I guess, really, this only applies to baseball, but I'm a bird-in-the-hand guy. Um, Prospects are great. Picks are great. I love a good farm system. But if I have the opportunity to trade guys that might be MLB caliber in a couple of years for a guy that is not only MLB caliber, but one of the best at what he does right now, I will make that trade every single time. Um, There are guys that come up through the minors that you know are destined for the MLB and it's literally just 
building some confidence and some reps and trying to increase the level of competition so they don't burn out when they reach the league. It's the Julios, the Adley Rutschmans, those guys. Correct. You know, Julio played in the minors. It's not like he came right to the MLB. But these guys are not that. And as soon as you step off that grouping, everyone else, it's so hit or miss. And you can have stars come out of these minors in these roles, but if you look at the percentages, man, it's more likely that these guys end up selling furniture than it is that you know they end up being the linchpin of a championship team. So to get somebody like Santos for that value, I think is tremendous. Second thing, this guy is young. I'm not sure if you can tell by our voices, but we're a couple of youthful guys over here. We got pep in our step. And a we do twinkle. have beards, but... Yeah, we still got a twinkle in our eye. And this guy is younger than us <laughs> by several years. He is 24 years old. Um, and how many years of control do we still have? I think five. Five years of control on this guy. Um, so the youth aspect of it is fantastic. It's not like... We were just talking last year with Polanco. Polanco? Last week with Polanco, yes. Yeah, last year. Um, about how he's really good, but I'm a little concerned about his age. This is the opposite. This is the J-Rod of relief pitchers. He's young and already a stud. And the last thing I wanted to mention, to just touch on the statistics, um, he averaged last year 60 games played. He averaged a 2.65 FIP. Um, for those of you who do not know what FIP is. Wow, John pulling out the FIP. <laughs> God damn right. The FIP. It's like ERA that removes uh, or at least lowers the influence of plays that the pitcher doesn't control, such as, you know, like errors. Errors and, yeah, balls in the air. It can inflate a player's stats if he allows a lot of contact. And that isn't like a home run or a strikeout just because, you know, those plays are technically in the fielder's control, even if he's given up the hits. But for the most part, it's basically ERA without errors. And 2.65 puts him last year as number five in baseball. Uh, the top five guys above him include Felix Batista, Tanner Scott, David Bednar, and somebody named, oh, how do you pronounce that? Matt Brash? <laughs> <laughs> I think he might play for somebody in the Northwest. Um, but that's fantastic. That means, statistically speaking, we've got two of the top five basically run-allowing relief pitchers in baseball. That does not li- that list did not include a guy named Andre Munoz, by the way, <laughs> who's also pretty good, I hear. Um, yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah. Considering we just gave up Justin Topa and we're a little bit concerned. Yeah. If we combine those two trades for what we let out to what we let in, I'm very excited. Yeah. Gregory Santos is a monster. There's a lot of talk about him. He in the, oh, what's it called? The Zips projections. In the Zips projections, he's projected to have a 1.5 war next year, which is. Which is what every every podcast is saying about him. They're saying he's projected to have the or projected to be the reliever that generates the most WAR next year, um, which is really cool. That is based off of his assumption or the assumption that he will be the closer. Um, and I don't know where he sits in this three headed monster of Munoz, Brash, Santos. I don't think so, but I think he might slot into that eighth inning role. Mm. Um, it really depends on how we want to use him because he and Munoz are so similar. 
it might be good to break them up with Brash. But either way, this dude's a monster. He's like you. So like you were saying, he's got a FIP of 2.65. His ERA last year was 3.39. So that was that's a pretty inflated ERA purely based on the fielding. The White Sox are not a good fielding team. Um, and the Mariners defensively are awesome. Besides Jorge Polanco, who we just traded for, Mariners, like JP's a great defender. Julio's a great defender. And Santos relies heavily on pitching on the to his arm side, so throwing to the right side of the plate, uh, inside on a right-handed hitter, outside on a lefty, which is perfect just for people to hit ground balls to JP all the time. Love that. It's going to be awesome. He's yeah, got talk about defense, you know, helping itself. Yeah. Um, he's sits. So if you look at his baseball savant page, it's all red. He's got a barrel percentage in the hundredth percentile. He had 201 batted balls in play last year and three of them were barrel. <laughs> that is, <That's, laughs> that is an unbelievable stat. <laughs> he's just, he's so good at pitching to contact. It's crazy because he, nobody hits him hard is kind of just how it is. Uh, Santos is a great, great pitcher. And I really think with him being added to this bullpen, even the way it is, we lost Topa. We lost our kind of bridge guy between the the mid or like kind of mid leverage relievers of Spire, uh, Saucedo, those guys. We lost Topa, who was the bridge between them and Brash and Munoz. But we just get a third person of the high leverage relievers, and those those lower leverage, mid leverage, they're just going to be performing when they need when we need them. Yeah, it's going to be so great. I really think the Mariners currently, as they stand have the best pitching staff in all of baseball. Yeah, and we'll get into that. I want to talk about that a little deeper. Just a note on Justin Topa, who we both really like, uh, sent to Minnesota in that Polanco deal. Last year, he posted a 315 FIP, so over half a point lower uh, than our boy Santos did. So he was the biggest piece in that Polanco trade that you and I were both sad to see out the door. Um, and the fact that we were able to replace him and potentially even improve upon him and get a younger version of him with more control, I just, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Huge, huge moves by the Mariners. Yeah. So this is, the, honestly, this is the kind of move I was hoping they would make for a batter. There's a conversation to be had about Santos is so good. Is the difference he's going to make in a relief rotation as talented as we have, is it equal to his skill level? And we'll see. Maybe we're going to see that this team is just going to be lights out come the seventh inning and on next year. Um, but there's a chance that he's honestly might be a little wasted with how much talent we have at that position. And that, you know, there's a conversation to be had there. But this is like a big move on the order of, you know, some of those other big bats I was hoping would secure. Yes, I agree. The one thing that I would say this also does is it lengthens that three-headed monster such that we don't have to have Brash and Munoz close out every single game. It felt like that's what they were doing all of last year, Mm -hmm. and they were just sitting in that eighth and ninth inning. But you can give Munoz a day off when you need to and let Santos close it out. You can let Brash close it out. You can swap them out. These Having three guys with this caliber means you can give them a day off if you want a guy to bridge to that. You know, If a starter goes six innings, you can have a guy bridge that seventh inning, take a little lower leverage role, and then throw two of them, give one guy a day off, and rotate through. And I think you prevent against injuries when it comes to having a closer. This is just like a great spot to be in for the Mariners, and it really is just kind of 
putting them head and shoulders above whoever's next in line with with their bullpen. Yeah. Um, just in terms of how it lengthens it and protects it. Yeah. And so now, yeah, I did want to have this conversation with you. Is there a better pairing of starting pitching and relief pitching in baseball than is found here on the Mariners? Because going into this year, I think it's fair to say that George Kirby is our number one starting pitcher. He's the highest ranked of Mar- of the Mariners in terms of, you know, pitching statistics last year. Um, and then, yeah. Him and Logan Gilbert, Luis Castillo, Luis Castillo as our big three, and then and then Bryce Miller and Brian Wu just sitting there yeah. in the four five, yeah, <laughs> and then this three headed monster we have a relief. That's what? What's the math on that? Eight guys that are really, really, really talented. Yeah. So some stats that are being thrown around are this this trio of relief pitchers. It has is projected to have the highest war by Zips projections of any trio of relief pitchers on any team, which of, is of course the that reason's obvious. Yes, which is the reason people can you know comp- confidently say these things. That's yeah. why, if you really think about it, there's just no other teams that have this kind of trio. Yeah, just to clarify, there's like there are different stats for these things, but there is no doubt that these three guys are top. 10 relief pitchers. There's an argument to be made that the three of them are top like six or seven relief pitchers. But if you draw the line at 10, there's not a question that these three guys are on the list. Yes. Um, and then when you look at the 2024, even Cy Young odds for the American League, we have three of the top nine pitchers. <laughs> we have Logan Gilbert sitting at nine at plus 2,500 odds, just for if any of you want to place bets on this. <laughs> Logan Gilbert sitting at nine. George Kirby sitting at eight with plus 1,600 odds, which are amazing for Cy Young Awards. For George Kirby, I think he's got the most likely chance. I don't, as yeah, much I as I love Castillo, better, yeah, yeah. I think he's got a better chance to really pop off this Agreed. year. Um, and Castillo is sitting at six at plus 1,300. We've got three of the, and then no other team has two guys in the top. No, I mean, we take up three of those spots, but no other team has two guys in the top six. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy, man. This this Mariners pitching staff is unreal. And people wanted to add Dylan Cease. He's number 10. Like, imagine if we had a Dylan Cease this year. I wanted Dylan Cease. We were, ta- <laughs> we were talking about, you said we traded for the White Sox pitcher. And I was like, we got Cease. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I was excited. But yeah, I like I like Santos as well. So um, yeah, there is, I do think there is a conversation to be had about, I mean, for the value we gave up for him, you have to make this trade. But why couldn't we have found similar value for an, a talented young bat? Um, but the answer is we probably wouldn't have been able. I'm a little confused why the White Sox would do this. The White Sox They are, got our number 15 and 18 prospects and the number 69 pick in a draft for a guy that's like going to be an all-star one of these years. I think they're trying to capitalize because Baroa has like six or seven years of club control. Yeah. And Baroa projects to be a pretty good reliever. All, yeah. Like I was kind of talking smack about him earlier. He's going to be good. He's got a really good and kind of wicked slider. Okay. Um, good fastball. He like he pitched for us last year and he just needs to control it is what it is. He'll be, he'll be good in a few years and he's got more control, but, which I think was the deal. It was like, we get this guy yeah. who's playing right now, but the White Sox need a guy to be playing in a few years. They're kind of rebuilding. That's fair. And and I get that. But like, even with Barroa, like he probably will be good. And we haven't really seen him do it with any sort of consistency at the MLB level. You just never really know with guys. I, but I, I hear you. 
that's then that's why they take the trade and get two more things you yeah. know <laughs> fair enough. um and you could i think the and you're talking about why we couldn't do this for a bat i think it's because a bat or a starting pitcher are just worth way more than a relief pitcher sure um yeah so with the amount that they play yeah. the game uh but i i would i would love to see them still at a bat i would not be upset about it um I, I think a free agent bat would be the best the best bet right now just because there's so many out there. Mm-hmm. Whether we get I think Solaire hasn't even signed or I mean we're not gonna get a Bellinger, but somebody like who hasn't signed yet, who's yeah. still out there, yeah. there's people. Solaire would be great. Talk about a guy that can bring some power that you wouldn't have to worry about clearing the walls at T Mobile. That'd be no problem. Um I think that hit on everything. I do want to say that yeah, I talked about Zach Deloach a little bit. He's Gonna get a cup of coffee at the major league level, I think, next year for the White Sox. Um, he'll be their fourth outfielder and get some good time. Uh, he's had a lot of strikeout problems, and so he, yeah, like I said, he's basically Cade Marlowe. Uh, but we gave Cade Marlowe a better shot just because he was, I think, a better base runner and didn't strike out as much, had better play discipline. Uh, but Marlowe still struck out a ton at the major league level, so I would expect Zach Deloach to struggle a little bit next year. Yes. And then, yeah, that, that 69th pick, I don't really care that much about it. That's Correct. late second round. I'm not too worried. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. All right. Well, that's exciting. Um, big move. That's I think that's the move I'm most excited about that they made this offseason. I think you're probably still more excited about Polanco. I think as a as for the team, yes, Polanco, just because Polanco is going to play more. He's going to be so much more impactful. more of a need. Um, but I love the Santos deal. Okay. Very cool. Uh, yeah, we'll give more updates if Seattle continues to make moves. Um, but for now... One thing. Before yeah. before we move on really quick, I love that the Mariners are going kind of all in on this year and this next like couple years. Yeah, they're dumping prospects. They like, are going all in. Every other team has been like, okay, we've got to shed money, except for the Dodgers, obviously. But we've got to like shed money and trade these guys who are making a little too much. And I love that the Mariners have kind of just gone all in for this year. They've gone for Polanco. They went for Santos. They made a bunch of moves that felt like they were around the fringes, but we added to the meat of the lineup to make to lengthen it that much more. We added to the bullpen to just make it that much stronger. I'm just such a fan of what the Mariners have done. And I know you were talking a little smack about Jerry Depoto a couple weeks ago. I will still talk smack about Depoto. And that's fair, but he has shown what he can do even with the limited limited uh, funds that he has been receiving. I'll, and I'll tell you what, and that's respect to Depoto there. The limited funds is something that he does not control. We, you know, you can only get so mad at ownership. I don't even know who these assholes are. So I have to project it at, at <laughs> general management. But um, he has always shown a great talent for improving on the fringes. And for, as you're saying, bringing in those really nice tier B and C players. You know, when you look at all the guys they've brought in over the last five years, you know, in and out, um, you know, he's always been able to bring in talent. The issue has potentially been the lack of an ability to, you know, have, sign free agents, have Shohei take a meeting, you know, and obviously we were never getting Shohei, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah. yeah. Props props to DePoto. Couple, a couple nice moves in a row. Let's do it. You want to talk about the next thing? Yes. Moving on to our favorite topic and our listeners' least favorite. Let's talk a little Super Bowl. Oh, wait. Am Don't I missing forget something? the UW football coach oh. who we hired. I thought, you were, I thought you had that locked and loaded. But. I was ready to blow right past it. <laughs> you're, I know you're excited about the Super Bowl I segment. I am excited about the Super Bowl <laughs> 
All right, no, let's talk UW. Uh, UW, uh, I think this was also over the weekend, hired Steve Belichick, Bill Belichick's son, to be their defensive coordinator. Immediate thoughts, John. I we te- I texted you about this. I think it was Monday because I texted you while I was at work. Yes. Um, My immediate thoughts, and I'll, I'll preface this with, I've come around a little bit, but my immediate thoughts were, yuck. <laughs> um, I do not like the Belichicks as a people, as a clan. Um, obviously, me and Bill have our issues. There's a lot of mutual respect, but there's also a little animosity. He thinks more of me than I do of him. Um, and uh, for those that don't know, Steve has been uh, a defensive coach for the Patriots for the last What'd you say it was? Twelve years? Yeah, a dozen years. Um, and do you know exactly what he was doing? Was he linebacker coach? What's what was he doing? Because he was not their DC. No, yeah, he was so what it says on this ESPN article from ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. He it was a defensive assistant and he spent five years as a defensive play caller. So not a defensive coordinator. Yes. But he was involved in choosing what was going on defensively. Yeah. So basically like an assistant DC. There's normally a couple of play yeah. callers that work underneath the defensive coordinator. But that's also that's good. It means he's obviously familiar with play calling, but it's also not you know, he hasn't been relegated to a single portion of the defense. I assumed he was like a linebacker coach or something well, like yeah. that. Um yeah, and I, you know, my issue with that is obviously nepotism. When you are working as your daddy's assistant's assistant, um, the question is, do you deserve to be there? Um, there's been a lot of kind of rumblings about the talent or lack thereof of the Patriots coaching uh, these last couple of years. But the counter to that would be, this Patriots defense has been the only thing keeping them even somewhat relevant since Brady left. Um, they were a top five defense in football this last year. Uh, so if you're pulling somebody from that aspect of their team, you may be getting talent. Yeah. I think what what I think about with this is Jed Fish, the new UW head coach, uh, was the Patriots quarterback in 2020. Quarterback coach, sorry. I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Quarterback coach. Um, so they they worked together. And I think a lot of coaching nowadays, and it's probably been like that for forever in football, it's a lot of who you know and who you've become friends with. And I feel like the fact that we've gotten a, an NFL assistant to come be a coordinator for us, I'm not upset about because the NFL is just such like a higher level. Um and I it's think easier to call defense in college than it is in the pros. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna kind of get a general thing. You're gonna you're gonna play cover three or whatever it is, and he's gonna he's basically just gonna be kind of the the overarching, I guess, orchestrator is a good way to put it of the defense because he's not gonna be sitting there telling each defense each defensive player what to do. Yeah, he's gonna be just sitting there calling plays, being very simple, not simple minded, but. Everything's going to be simple for him. It's not going to be super tough. And I don't think it, that's a spot, or I think that's a spot where he would thrive coming from an NFL, being an NFL assistant. Yeah, yeah. Probably a little bit easier. Yeah, just focusing on a general system and not having to focus on the minutia. But interesting. It's an interesting call. I, I hope it was a good one. I hope defensive-mindedness runs in the Belichick family and uh, <laughs> wasn't just a favor. Um, a very kind of interesting situation is 
Our defensive coordinator is the son of Bill Belichick. Our offensive coordinator is the son of Pete Carroll. Offensive lineman coach, right? Oh, is he just the lineman coach? Yeah. Okay. Uh, still, an offensive coordinator is the son of Pete Carroll. And then uh, Jim Harbaugh's son was just hired as, as an assistant coach for the Seattle Seahawks. So uh, Seattle is really filling up with the sons of famous coaches, even as we lose Pete. <laughs> we lose Pete. And we get a super young head coach for the Seahawks, too. It's just yeah. going to be a young coach's center, yeah. which does make me a little scared that it could become a, or Seattle could become a spot for um, just people to get their roots and then leave, mm. um, fly by their wings. Yeah. Uh, but if it makes us good for short periods of time, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. Little short bursts of being great. Yeah. Yeah. So all in all, I'm, I'm dubious about Belichick. And I also think, you know, defense was not intended to be the backbone of this last, you know, team's construction. It'll be interesting to see how that plays into Jed Fish's, you know, plan. If it's more of a return to the mid 2010s UW teams that were carried by one of the best defenses in football. Or if they're more like this last year's team, that their defense was carried by a great offense. So, yeah, a lot to consider. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how the offense is going to run. Um, Fish, obviously, he was the Patriots quarterback coach, like I said. Uh, I, I think he's really good at developing quarterbacks. Yes. I don't know about the rest of the offense. I'm, I will be curious to see what happens there. Uh, and then, yeah, Belichick. I, I, they were, you know... College, they were or not college. They were on the same squad in 2020, so that was three years ago. Before I don't know how much Belichick has learned. Yes, I think it, yeah, it could be portrayed that he's learned a lot more than he has. He could have also learned a lot. Yeah, and to to that point, and to go against my nepotism point is you know these two worked together. If Steve was clearly just just there because his daddy hired him, there's no way Jed would bring him in. Um, he must have seen something. That he liked. So yeah. That's good news. Anyways, we've broken that down enough, and I don't need to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the real conversation. Yes. Super Bowl stuff. <laughs> All right. John's got a segment for us. I'm kind of in the dark. He's told me what's going to happen, yes. but I don't know anything about what's going on. This is very simple. I have got a list of 21 Super Bowl prop bets for this year. This is our... Temporary replacement for value dogs under the given circumstances. So what we're going to do is it, they're listed one through 21. You're either going to go first or I'll go first. And then we will each basically own those props. And we're just going to see how each of us do. So we'll both have 10. I guess whoever goes first will have 11. Um, and we'll see out of those 10 or 11 how many we get right. So... I'll just tell you the first one. You can decide whether or not you want it. The first one is how long will the national anthem be? And it's over under 90 and a half seconds. So whoever gets that one will pick over or under, and that's theirs. Then we move on to number two, and that goes to the other person. It's tough because I don't want to. I don't want to have the potential to go five hundred. I want to either win or lose. <laughs> so you want to go first? <laughs> I kind of want to go first. Okay, go first. Over under national anthem ninety and a half. Uh. God, so I so I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast earlier this week, and they were talking about this as a prop. Um, and apparently, it was at eighty six and a half seconds. So people wow. are slamming the over for this slamming. right now. Uh, it's moved up four seconds. 
I, I have to take the over. It, it's, wow. No, no. I'll take the under. Everybody, everybody, listen to Bill Simmons. That's what happened. I was gonna say, man. Like, don't <laughs> don't chase the line up and then still bet the over. You got to take advantage of that. Yeah, got to go against uh, the people. Yeah, you just got four free seconds from <laughs> from all the idiots out there. Okay, nice. We got the under for the first one. Number two, what will be the result of the coin flip? Heads or tails? I'm glad you went number one so I could get the steal at number two. Tails never fails. That's, that's an easy one. That's locked in. <laughs> is it, so what's what are the odds for that? What do you what do you? Is, it's not like fifty fifty. It's not you win a you you put in fifty bucks, you win fifty bucks, right? No, that's exactly that's what exactly it is. what it is. Wow, it's a, it's Vegas coin, isn't taking any money. It's from, a coin. I'm sure it's like minus one hundred five or something. <laughs> they, they always take their cut, but that's literally the most <laughs> straight fifty fifty bet you could ever have. Can you imagine if it was like minus 200 tails? <laughs> if like it was plus 150 on heads. <laughs> and everybody's just smashing heads and it's it's weighted. It's a weighted coin. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, anyways, what's third? Yeah, third. Will the opening kickoff result in a touchback? Um, That's tough. Who's the Chiefs? Does Butker do the kicking for the kickoffs for the Chiefs? Yeah, field goal kickers normally kick off. I'll take that it's a touchback. Yeah, good call. I would take touchback too. Yeah. Okay. What will be the result of the opening drive? It's touchdown, field goal, punt, or other. Uh, it really depends on who has the ball. Yeah, yeah, it really does, and we don't know. This is a tough one. I don't like this. San, San Francisco kicker hasn't been great recently. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm gonna go punt. I think that's, I think that's statistically that's, that's safe. They're gonna both be figuring out each other's defense. Correct. Two good defenses, obviously two good offenses, but two good defenses on the field. I think if you look, I don't know this stat at all. I could be wrong, but if you looked at every single drive in the NFL this season and the outcome, I'm guessing punt is over fifty percent. That would, that seems right. Yeah. Okay. Number five. What will be the first turnover of the game? A fumble, an interception, or a turnover on downs? I know what I'd pick for this one. Brock Purdy interception. I'm, I'm calling Brock Purdy specifically interception. Yeah, <laughs> and what's tough about that is Mahomes doesn't throw picks in the Super Bowl, so you're, you're kind of yeah. relying on Purdy to throw it. Uh, yeah, I'll take interception, though. What were you going to say? I think it's going to be a turnover on downs. I think the way these teams are playing, not just these two teams, but at the NFL, every time you cross the 40, you're going for it on fourth down. So I think there's just... A lot of chances for a turnover on downs. That's fair. It's too late. I'm not letting you go back. No, I'm, I'm not going back. I, I just, I think that Brock I, Purdy is so fallible. Purdy <laughs> threw two first half picks against uh, Detroit. So there's something to be said there. Also, yeah, like these last two, I'm sure have positive odds since there are multiple options. But we're just picking one because we're ta- we hold ourselves to a high standard. Yeah. If we can't get 50% on like plus 200 bets... We shouldn't be here. Okay. What? <laughs> Not a pressure. <laughs> Which team will score first, 49ers or Chiefs? Now, that's anything. Um, and I think it's the Chiefs because I think when the Chiefs touch the ball, they're going to put up points. So if they get the opening kickoff, I think they'll score. And if they don't, I think the Niners can punt. So uh, Number seven. Which team will reach 10 points first? I think... I just blew right in the microphone. <laughs> I think the uh, the Chiefs want to put the Niners in a tough position where they have to throw the ball more than they want to. Mm-hmm. So 
purely based on game plan, and I think the Chiefs' defense is better than we've given it credit for, uh, I'm going to go Chiefs. Chiefs on the race to 10. We're loving the Chiefs' offense. Bet on the Niners. <laughs> Which quarterback will throw the first passing touchdown? Uh, you have to say Mahomes. No, no, I'm not. I'm going Purdy. I'm going Purdy. I can't be too... I can't Why? Be, because I'm trying to go 500 here, and I can't bet on the Chiefs on every single one of these picks. So I'm going Pur- Purdy through... That's another thing, too. Purdy throws a lot of touchdowns for all the picks that he throws. That's fair. Um, when their offense gets in the red zone, you think they would just hand it to McCaffrey again and again. But they really like to throw in the red zone. So um, They like their kind of little screens to the side. Yeah, They love that, and they love uh, routes over the middle in the red zone. I don't know why, but Ayuk catches a lot of balls in the middle of the field. Okay, will either team score in the final two minutes of the first half? Two-minute drill. This is just yes or no, a team will score? In the final two minutes of the first half. Yes. Points will be put on the board. Yes. Yes. I like that bet. How many songs... Oh, God. Why do I get this one? How many songs will Usher perform at halftime? It's over under eight and a half. That seems like a lot of songs. Well, so what is it? It's like 40 minutes uh, for the half, right? Yeah. Or halftime. Yeah. But things Um, take a while to ramp up. Yeah, I'd say I'd say it takes five. Say it takes five minutes to get the stage set. Mm. You know, we do a we do a commercial break. Yeah, thirty five. He performs. Minutes. He performs. How? So okay, but they need time to tear it down. So say they need ten minutes to tear it down, get everything off the field. Yeah, yeah. So it's twenty five minutes. No. Yeah, I'm twenty five minutes is not enough time. I'm saying under eight and a half. I don't know how long the average Usher Usher song is, but <laughs> Usher Usher seems like a chill. Actually, guy. I don't, they don't think usually he perform to... the entire song. Oh, yeah. You think he'll be, like, doing halves? I'm going up under eight and a half. Or the real question is, is he seeing only Usher songs? Or are there going to be, like, other people that are involved in the halftime show that are also singing? How many songs will Usher perform? Under. If he takes, if he takes a water break, that doesn't count. All right, you get a... <laughs> you get... Actually, I think this is an easy one. Will Ludacris make an appearance at halftime? Yes. yes no? You're saying yes. Yes. Oh, that is interesting. I think the well, okay, so odds are he doesn't. Can, can I know, are there any other questions that involve other artists coming out at halftime? There are no other questions. Okay, then I, would, then I would say, yeah, it sounds like somebody has somebody knows something about <laughs> Usher okay, performing yeah. with Ludacris. All right, man. I guess, yeah, that's how you feel about it. How many players will attempt a pass? It's over under two and a half. Meaning, so are there going to be any trick plays? Will there be any trick plays in this game? And I think the answer is no. I think both these teams trust their quarterbacks. I think they're playing against two smart, you know, aged, mature defenses. Uh, I would be surprised if there's any shenanigans. I'm trying to think of if I've seen any shenanigans from either of these teams. The only person I can think of that might have thrown something is like an Ayuk screen. Yeah. I feel like Debo has thrown some footballs. Debo might have. Yeah. They're like fake Um, jet sweep. Yeah. Maybe the 49ers do that, but I, I wouldn't expect it. I could see. I think Kelsey's thrown a couple balls this mm. year too. But in the Super Bowl, when you have Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy, I think why not put it in their hands? So yeah, we'll see. But I'm going under two and a half. Will there be a missed field goal? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Early in the game, though, it's not going to be late. It's going to be early. That's fair. That's fair. I think. Yeah, I like Butker. I don't know who the Niners kicker is, but I feel uh, like it, the, the name Moody rings a bell in my head, but I don't I don't know if that's right. That sounds reasonable. Okay, who will finish with more passing yards? 
Brock Purdy or Patrick Mahomes? All right, I'm not going to fight fate on that one. I'll take Mahomes. Uh, who will finish with more rushing yards, McCaffrey or Pacheco? The Niners' defense has kind of sucked against the run. I like Pacheco here. Wow, that is a that's a wild pick. Um, uh, I, I think McCaffrey might have more all-purpose yards. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. he might catch a few passes, but I think Pacheco will have more rushing yards. Yeah. Pacheco's been running the ball well. I also want everybody to know that I feel like John's like clicking through this on CBS just to mark down our bets, and then he'll submit it later. <laughs> no, I literally I've got a PDF with little check boxes. <laughs> I'm checking each one of these. Oh, there we go. Um, so we'll, we're going to have this. We're going to have this locked in. Um, yeah, man, that's an interesting pick. McCaffrey is the best running back in football. Um, Don't at me when when I... Touche, touche. Okay, who will finish with more receiving yards? We've got Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and Travis Kelsey. <sighs> this is tough. Um, I don't think it's going to be Kelsey. The thing is, he gets so, he gets the lion's share of defensive attention. Well, the Niners get it split between Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle. Um, I think there's a chance it would be Kittle. I think I'm going to go with Ayuk. Uh, it'll be Debo if he rips off one of his 60 yards. Nobody touches me. But Ayuk has that same potential. So Yeah. yeah. I, and I he think, catches more passes in general. Yeah. So and Debo's been him. a bit beat up this year, too. So yeah. we'll see. But I, I like Ayuk there. Um, who will win Super Bowl 58? I'm glad I got this. This is great. Taylor Swift. <laughs> so the Chiefs. <laughs> you are so funny. Um, yeah, I can't really argue with that. How many points will be scored? Over under on 47. <sighs> this is tough. I I guess this is what you get in a Super Bowl, but it's like both these offenses are really talented, but both these defenses are really solid too. I'm watching George Kittle highlights on the TV right now. I'm going over. The universe has spoken to me. It's not showing me any defensive highlights in this package. How many points was it again? 47. So that'd be 24 each would pass that. I might go under. Just because I think the Chiefs... Like, the Chiefs really haven't scored more than 20... Like, we've talked about this all season. But they don't really score more than 20 points a game. They scored big against the Ravens. They put up... They They put put up up 17 points in the first half. Oh, in the first half. And then didn't score in the second half. You're kidding. Mm Mm-mm. Ravens lost that game yeah. having given up 17 points? Yep. The Ravens were bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, another reason to pick Ayuk for passing yards. There's a chance the Niners are going to run on this. I, I would have picked McCaffrey. But anyway, uh, I picked the over-under. Okay, what Gatorade color will be poured on the winning coach? We got orange, blue, red, or other. <laughs> There's no money on orange right now, from what from what I know. Yeah, I'm going orange. <laughs> wow, leaning into the orange. That's... I'm also wearing an orange shirt right now, so I have to represent. Yeah, I I would I guess my first instinct is other. They're just there's an infinite range of colors. Did, did, in the was there red? Should I have gone red? I was going to say my second thought was red because both, both of teams, these are red. teams are red. But see, that's what everybody thinks. Yeah. That, that's what Vegas is trying to get everybody to think. For so. sure. For sure. I'm, sti- I'm sticking with orange. Yeah, I'm sure somebody made a call in like, hey, no red Gatorade. <laughs> like the commissioner said that. They're like, it can taste like fruit punch, but make it blue. Correct. <laughs> it's like there's too much money on the line. You're right. Everyone's going to be betting red. Okay, who will win Super Bowl 58 MVP? Brock Purdy, Patrick Mahomes, or other? Now get ready for this. I'm going other. Um, I like that. I think there's a chance that this is a really defensive game. 
yeah, really defensive game. Um, we've certainly seen defensive Super Bowl MVPs in the past. I could see you know, Chris Jones getting to Purdy a couple times and them giving it to him. I also think, obviously, if Mahomes has an otherworldly game and Kelsey doesn't, they'll give it to Mahomes. But there's a lot of hype around Kelsey right now. And if the Chiefs win and Kelsey has like 100 yards and a touchdown, I bet you they give it to him. Especially if Mahomes doesn't do much besides that. Yeah, throws a pick or something. Yeah. Um, I would not be surprised. Cooper Cup just won it a couple years ago. So I also, I also like the fact that like, because it was just Mahomes or Purdy or other. Yeah. Like McCaffrey could be it. Absolutely. Yeah. McCaffrey could have three touchdowns. You know, Debo could have a monster game. I don't think, I have a hard time imagining Brock Purdy winning Super Bowl MVP. Yeah. If the Niners win, I don't think it's going to go to Purdy. Yeah. Agreed. Yes. Maybe Bosa or somebody on that defense. So, yeah. I like the other pick. There's a lot of, there's, what is it, 102 other players on these teams? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and here is... I think this is a freebie. I, I don't know why this is a question, but this will boost your stats a little bit. <laughs> will Travis Kelsey propose to Taylor Swift after the game? No. Yes or no? No. <laughs> yeah, why is that? Why are they phrasing that like it's a 50-50 thing? Like, Women who are trying to get into sports betting see that and think yes. That's like, yeah. I feel like that's what it is. I can't imagine that Taylor Swift's like, hey, please propose to me after this football game. She does have an album coming out. It might be just another thing to add to the marketing scheme. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Okay. Well, that concludes the Sound of Seattle <laughs> value dog prop segment uh, for Super Bowl 58. I feel pretty good. I think I'm going to go 10 for 10. Yeah. Maybe 9 for 10. I'm going to go 8 for eight for 11, which is, which is great odds. Yeah. Follow, follow our bets, people. Kelsey's definitely proposing. You're losing that. Liquidate one. your assets. Assets vote no on Kelsey proposing. Propositions on the brain, I see. Um, nice. Well, anything else you wanted to talk about in regard to the Super Bowl? It's just it's being from Washington. It's a tough Super Bowl for us. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want we don't want the Niners to win. I don't necessarily love the Chiefs, but you have talked me into the fact that it's like it's a dynasty, and yeah. I think at that point you have to kind of root for history. Correct. I'm very much I stand on that. That was Golden State a couple of years ago when like Golden State was playing like Toronto. Like, Toronto won. This, this, the Celtic. Or, oh, you were thinking that one. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's Celtics. Golden State just beat the Celtics. Yeah, Celtics is another example. It's like if I don't have any skin in the game, I'll just go ahead and root for the dynasty as long as I don't hate the people involved. Like screw the Patriots. I don't. I don't hate the Chiefs. I yeah. don't like them, but I don't have anything against them. Um, I wanted to have a conversation about. Uh, Kelsey and his place in history in terms of greatest tight ends of all time. So I pulled up just as a, for instance, his stats against Rob Gronkowski, who I think a lot of people consider the goat uh, of the tight end position. It's worth noting that Gronk is like undoubtedly the way superior, like blocking tight end. Yes. And like in protection and run blocking Gronk is infamous, partly because he's just so massive. Um, as a huge asset on that side of the ball, which Kelsey has never really been. So I was like, okay, Kelsey is going to have way better receiving numbers and there will be a debate to be had. But I looked it up. Over the course of their careers, Travis Kelsey has caught 1,265 footballs for 11,000 yards and 75 touchdowns. So that's substantial. That's really impressive. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, that was targets. 900 receptions for 11,075. That's pretty good. Yeah. 
Gronkowski over the course of his career has 600 receptions. So 300 less. Yeah. Two-thirds of the receptions for 9,300 yards and 92 touchdowns. What was Travis Kelsey's touchdowns? 75. Yeah, Gronk was just so good in the in the red zone. Gronk was unstoppable in the red zone. That blew my brain off. Kelsey catches like a, a ton of touchdowns. A sixth of his receptions yeah. were touchdowns, yeah. basically. And 100, literally, literally, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, a sixth. Like, like one if you out really of every, think about that. One out of every really six Really think passes. about those odds. <laughs> like 18% of Rob Gronkowski's, Gronkowski's catches were touchdowns. <laughs> if, if Gronk had a 10-catch game, statistically, he probably had two touchdowns. <laughs> that is otherworldly. The fact that he has 20 more touchdowns on 300 less receptions. Yeah. That's just like the efficiency of Gronk. Yeah, um, and, and he was way better on the line. So I, I love I love Kelsey, but I don't think... Kelsey's also just been around for longer. Um, correct. He, play, he played more seasons. Yeah. Gronk really only played seven or eight, right? eight, yeah. eight real seasons, but over those eight seasons, he got nine. He was a monster, dude. That probably includes postseason stats, but I mean, so do so do Kelsey. Yeah, guy. Kelsey literally has three hundred more receptions, so it's not like not like you can argue volume. God, that's that's insane. Because yeah. really, so if you think about it, Kelsey's played what is it, eleven years or something at this point. Yeah, I don't have his his year to year in front of me. So if if Gronk played eight, and I, I'm assuming that Kelsey played, I think like ten, ten or eleven so far. Yeah. <laughs> he might he might play more. Yeah, but he's he's already played several longer, several more years than uh, yeah Gronk. So they're at the same catch percentage wise. Like you know, if if he's played twelve seasons, say he's caught nine hundred balls, and Gronk has played eight and caught six hundred. That's the same ratio of pass catches. The the fact that Kelsey at eight years was probably at like fifty touchdowns is kind of crazy. Like that that difference is insane. Oh, John just played a really loud music in his ear earbuds. Wow, that was <laughs> incredibly distracting. <laughs> I I am so curious to see how much of that gets caught. ESPN just blaring something in my headphones. <laughs> That's hysterical. I, th- I think we could call the podcast there. <laughs> yeah, we literally just we literally just got played off the stage. <laughs> All right, anything else to say? No, let's get out of here. All right, if you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. It's posted everywhere. Um, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can find me, Tyler, at Tycart50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John still playing Star Wars Battlefront, but also watching the Gonzaga Bulldogs lose. Uh, <laughs> uh, and all that being said, I don't know. What's going on Let's right now? Let's go Chiefs. <laughs> Screw it.